What I'd love to do tonight is something a little bit different. So I'm going to ask you all to uh, participate with me. It might feel like we're a bit of a part of a Christian Zumba club because I'm calling you to stand again. But why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read the Word of God together. And the reason why we want to do that tonight, we don't normally do it, but we want to do it because actually I want to help us understand that we are partnering together tonight. I'm not the preacher. I'm not the, the Christian monkey doing a dance at the front. Entertain us, Gabe. No, no, we are partnering together in the preaching of the word, and I really believe God is going to speak as we lean in with faith together. So Matthew 10 will be on the screen as soon as Philip gets his act together at the back there. Ta-da! Well done, Philip. Wow, take a bow. Matthew 10, verse 5 to 10, it's in the message translation, but I'm going to read it, but just posture your heart in faith as you stand up together with me. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far-off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. I can do it in two, just a heads up. Travel light. Why don't we pray together? Father, I thank you as we stand together at the reading of your word together tonight. I thank you that we are choosing not to just be spectators, but rather participators in the kingdom of God. I thank you, God, again, we say it, your word is passing us by, and by faith we apprehend it. And say, God, this is not just going to be good for somebody else. This is good for me. And I pray, Father, ultimately, would your word awaken awaken the sleeping giants amongst us this evening. Do it in every single heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Well done. You guys did so well. In a, I grew up in a country called Zimbabwe. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's an incredible country. And we had a notoriously one television station called ZBC. And ZBC had the classics, you know, from 6 to 12 it had propaganda, oh wonderful, 12 to 3 had uh, some uh, religious programming from, uh, from Eastern Europe, and then from 3 to 6 was Japanese anime that we could not make head or tail of. But at 6 o'clock, but at 6 o'clock, the, na- the, 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 the whole city, the streets would be shut down because people would race to the television screens because every night without fail was a, a long-running soapy. Uh, it was actually an Australian soapy. Shelley, uh, you might have been more familiar with it. Uh, a, show, a show that Kylie Minogue, young Kylie Minogue, uh, cut her teeth on. But a show that actually the theme song still gets me excited. Still, I can still taste dinner in front of the TV in Zimbabwe when I hear this song. But it goes something like this. Neighbors, everybody loves good neighbors. Sing with me if you know it. You know? With a little understanding. Do you want to keep going? <laughs> neighbors. All right, there we go. But uh, Neighbors, and it was the song Neighbors, and we, we loved it. We loved to lean in at this, this street in Australia and all the different neighbors, their comings and goings, and how everyone knew each other's businesses and what was going on. But I want to tell you this, this evening, I, I want to tell some stories about some of the neighbors I've had, some of the real-life neighbors, and, and the most infamous neighbor that our, the Phillips family have had over the years was this, this couple that lived next door, door to us in Durban. So we moved from Zimbabwe to Durban, and we, had, we lived in this four, uh, a block of four flats, and our neighbors um, were this family, this couple with their little kids, and uh, unbeknownst to us, we were, so we shared the same ceiling. Was, we shared, you could hear what was going on. If you leaned close enough, you could hear when they flushed the toilet. It was really exciting. 
and um, you knew what they were watching on TV. You knew. But it was that type of uh, communal living. But this family, what we didn't know was that the husband and wife were at such odds with each other um, that, that the, the wife had banned the husband from coming back home. They'd had one fight too many, and she was, he had changed the locks and said, you're not allowed back in here. The memo wasn't handed to us. So he arrived one, sheepishly one evening. Well, I think it was a Thursday or Friday evening, and he arrived at our front door looking around. We were, what's wrong? Are you all right? Everything is no, it's fine. He says, I'm, I've actually um, lost my keys, he told us. And, uh, and he said, so um, I would love to, can I, I need to come in your house, climb through your, your ceiling and go into my house, which we, again, we Zimbabweans, so we said, neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. So we said, oh, all right, come on in. And we perplexed our family and my, my mom and dad, Sue and Roe, for that, we're an intimate congregation, yeah, so why don't we be on first name basis? Uh, and uh, this guy climbed up and we got the little ladder, my dad, my 60-year-old father pushed him through the ceiling there and he, he clambered in, thank you very much, and we were wondering why he was telling us to be a little bit, don't, don't make too much noise, what's going on? And, uh, and he climbed up and my parents, as they shut the door thinking, okay, he's going to go and be able to get into his house and he'll be able to carry on, they got back into bed and... Uh, all of a sudden, my, my, my dad said the famous last words, turned to my mom and said, we should have told him to walk, make sure he walks on the ceiling boards. On the right, there's a, there's a place to walk and there's a place not to walk. And before the words were out of my dad's mouth, the neighbor's feet came plunging through their bedroom, window, their bedroom roof and two dangling legs and uh, swear words um, that we, I would not be permitted to say in a, ve- in a venue like this, but he was swearing like a trooper to wake the family next door. His wife then started to swear because she started saying, what is going on in here? And, uh, and I remember my dad was pushing him up. My mom was saying, no, pull him down. It was, a, it was, a, it was an ordeal, if I could say it. Uh, and one that would live long in our memory. No one was happy. We weren't happy. We had a broken ceiling. He wasn't happy. He had some injuries to his legs. The neighbor, his wife was not happy because he was, uh, he was breaking and entering into their home. But neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. I, I, I say that tonight a little bit of a, with a little bit of humor because we are convinced that God has called us, Life Changes City, as a community, but also as individuals, into this location, into this city, into the different suburbs, whether it's Rondebosch, whether it's Observatory, whether it's Woodstocks, whether it's City Bowl, Sea Point, Hart Bay, Milneton, you fill in the blank, that God has placed us in this city for a specific purpose, not just for life to pass us by, not for us just to get a, a, an income, not for us just to find a spouse, settle down, have the 2.4 kids and carry on with life. No, no, God has put us here specifically for a reason. And I want to ask us questions tonight. I believe, firstly, what if the church got a revelation of who they were and instead of running from the darkness, we started charging into it? Or better put, instead of building bigger walls to keep the evil out, we bashed a few down to let us out. Let me ask a few more questions. What if we were the answer to the prayers that our neighbors and colleagues have been praying and they don't even know it yet? What if, one more question, what if we could become the best people that our neighbors could have ever hoped to have lived next to? I want to help us posture our hearts in faith and, and maybe change the direction of us as a community because God has got incredible things for us as a story, as a family here together, and we are so excited about it. So tonight, I want to give us two points. Everyone right? can handle two on a Sunday evening. We'll get you home before carte blanche. Don't worry. Two points, and these are imperatives that I believe we need to understand if we're going to have, be a church that has the impact that we desire. So number one, from this text that we read, simply put, number one, you have more than enough. 
Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them that as explicitly as you can. Tell them you have more than enough. I told you, we're preaching this together. You see, the context for the text that I read, Matthew 10, we read it there. It's this, this amazing moment where Jesus gathers his 12 fresh faith disciples Young boys, they're inexperienced, they've, they, they're fresh-faced, they've got potentially alcohol in their breath, some teenage angst amongst them, and anger issues pulsating out of them, I can imagine, with these 12 young uh, red-blooded males. And I can imagine they stumble into class with Jesus that day, stumble in, probably someone missed the alarm clock, sorry I'm late, Jesus, what's going on in the lesson today? So excited to know what Jesus has up his sleeves for them. And then Jesus, you know, he, they're so pumped because he's been doing incredible things. They, they've got their phones ready. Is Jesus going to give us a, another Instagrammable moment, you know, that water into wine thing, that walking on water thing? What is he going to teach us today? And then Jesus breaks out into this Braveheart-esque speech. I apologize. I lost the millennials here. Um, what, what movie is more relevant? Uh, a 300 speech. Is that still too long ago? Goodness, I apologize. But he, a speech of all speech, gladiator, whatever, a type of speech that rouses you to the core. And it's this type of moment where in, 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 in the William Wallace fashion, it's almost like he's commissioning these young guys who are looking around wilder and he says to them, will you fight? And they're, they're like, us? No. No, 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 not us, not us, not us, Jesus. It's this incredible moment, us and what army, and I can imagine their, their discussion starts to happen. They, they're like, we haven't even finished the set work you gave us yesterday. Thomas is still doubting Jesus. That water into wine thing, I've got it into grape juice, but the wine is still coming. I don't know, it's Tussies. Give, give us a few more weeks, you know. They, they like, they're saying, hey, Jesus, we feel like we're a little bit behind the work. Help us out here. We, we, this seems like a big task you're putting in front of us. But I love the understanding that Jesus says that he speaks these five power-packed verses into these disciples and, and, and ongoingly into our hearts as believers, as his disciples here on earth today. He says this one line that caught me, he says, you don't need a lot of equipment, you are the equipment. This is so powerful because I want to tell you, we, in, in church circles you might have heard this phrase before, but he's not looking for the qualified, he's looking for the available. And I need to preach this to my own heart at the best of times. But in the year 2020, I need to know this, and I need to know this, and I need to know this, because the enemy is coming to rob us of our confidence. He wants us to look inward. He wants us to look at our own failures, our own shortcomings, when the glory of the gospel says, no, no, it's not about you. It's about neighbors. It's about a city. It's about a people who are desperate for my glory. This is the powerful understanding, and here's a myth buster. Again, my, my content is not relevant tonight for the present day. I know myth busters on Discovery Channel is not that much of a thing anymore. But here's a myth buster where we need to know. So many people in church contexts, they say some do the ministry, and others clap and cheer from the sidelines. They, most people talk about that. They talk about in, 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 our, in the world these days, they say they're the, the men of God. There's the man of God. We've got to go to the man of God, and then they're the others. We say that the haves and the have-nots, those who are full-time in church and those who support, those who do the sacred work and those who do the secular work. You know, the, the, there's a the clergy and the laity. You know, there's some people who do really spiritual work and the rest of us, we just do accounts or we just do X, Y, Z. When I want to tell you that the, the, it's the biggest myth there is, because actually if you read the scriptures, you realize more and more and more that Jesus came to smash that divide. To open gates, as, as the childhood game would be saying, that everyone is included in this journey. And so much so that Ephesians 4 tells us that the pastor's main job is not to preach a cracker 20-minute TED Talk on a Sunday that will go viral. 
None of mine have yet, though, by the way. Just throwing each And usually 25 minutes. But anyway, who's counting? The pastor's main job is not to facilitate and make sure everything, everyone's comfortable in church. No, according to Scripture, the pastor's main job, whether he's doing it or right or wrong, is whether the people, the people of God, the church, are doing their job. They are equipped to be who Jesus has called them to be. So here you go. My pleasure and my joy tonight as an apostle and pastor, prophet, reverend, bishop of the Lord Most High. Yep, I've claimed my title. Is to ordain you all tonight into full-time ministry. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Be released. Be released. Did you guys feel that? Here we go. Boom. You see, this is the gospel that Jesus came to for the whosoever's, the whatsoever's, the leftovers. And the scripture said so much so they say, he chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Can I tell you, it's my favorite scripture in the Bible. I, I wish I could get a little passport photo of myself and put it next to that. Go, amen. That's where my wife usually says, amen. He chose the foolish things. I've underlined that. God chooses foolish things. He chooses redhead, skinny things from Zimbabwe to shame the wise. He chooses you and he chooses me that when the world are looking for answers and coming up short, when 2020 is driving people to drink, driving people to addictions, to anxiety, to pills, to depression, to fear, the church is saying, we have a solution. It might seem foolish and it's wrapped up in a foolish thing called the local church. But this is who God says, you have more than you know. You're more than enough. I will tell you, it's time to uncuff the church, if I can use that word. You know, the gospel isn't chained. The word of God isn't chained. It's not restricted by the year, the suburb, your background, your history, your sin, your shame. The gospel is not. So the enemy tries to handcuff the church and say, no, but the gospel's fine. So people go, yeah, Jesus is good, but, but we aren't. We don't have enough. Whereas in the moment, I want to tell you the reality that the moment you were born, I wish I could look every single one of you in the face and take you, your hands and speak to you tonight. That the moment you were born, the doctor looked at you and said, oh, another ugly crying baby. The social worker said, another mouth to feed. Your mother, or at least my mother said, doesn't he come in blonde? But I want to tell you, at that first cry, the Father in heaven silenced all of the angels and leant in with faith and said, be quiet, the plan has begun. The plan has begun. This is how he designed you and I. And I, I really, this is huge for you and I because you might just say today, I'm just here, Gabe, in the city. I don't know, just for a season or just for a moment. I don't know if I'm passing through my X, Y, Z. I'm just a coffee barista. I tell you, no, 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 no. You're not a coffee barista. You are a bean revivalist. New job description. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I'm just a teacher, Gabe. I'm just a teacher. You know, going, I'm just trying to make it through to the December holidays. No, 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 you're not a teacher. You're setting up an outpost on the edge of hell. Some schools more literally than figuratively. You see, this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus says, tells these disciples, he says, tell them the kingdom is here. Let me teach you very quickly, when, when he talks about the kingdom is here, there's another phrase they'll use in the New Testament, Jesus and, and the disciples and John uh, the Baptist use these words, he says that the kingdom is at hand. Now, here's the thing, a little bit of teaching for you, is that when you hear the word, the kingdom is at hand, often we think linear, we think timeline, so that the kingdom is coming closer, the kingdom is coming closer, it'll soon be here, it'll soon be here, it'll soon be here. 
When in reality, when Jesus comes, who is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God made flesh, the manifest of heaven to earth, reality, here he is, the bridge divider, bringing heaven to earth. When he says the kingdom is at hand, he's saying the kingdom, hold your hand, is here. You can reach out and touch it. It's at hand. It's here now. It's with, it's, it's, it says it's not over there, it's not over here, it's within you. This is the teaching of the new covenant, and so much so, this is the, the great news, is that when we understand that Christ lives in us, the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, he is orchestrated here and now in this moment that Jesus is with us, that means that wherever I go, the kingdom of God goes. Did you just feel that on the side? I know you felt it, anointing, boom. Wherever that I go, the kingdom of God goes. Whether I feel like it or I don't, this is the reality truth that I have more than I know. I have more than enough. This is huge and this is amazing because not depending on my performance, but the kingdom of God is always advancing and forceful me to lay hold of it. This is the good news of the gospel. What does that mean for you and I? It means this, that when you and I pitch up for work on a Monday and everyone else says, we're in for one hell of a week, you know you're in just the right place. You're in just the right place. When everyone, the whole world lives for this phrase that's been uh, made into restaurants, that's been made into memes, that is uh, surfaces and social media feeds on a Friday. T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday. Or as Gareth Cliff University used to say, it's the weekend, baby. Why? Because the whole world are like on a Monday in depression and then stagger their way and live for the weekend. The problem is I think the church often live with the T-G-I-S. Thank God it's Sunday. I just need enough on a Sunday to push me along so I can make it through this week. When in fact, when we understand that we have more than we know, when we have more than enough, we understand that we become the only people in the world who should wake up on a Monday going, T-G-I-M. Thank God it's Monday. It's showtime. It's game time. Because we will arrive in a certain situation with more than we ever knew. Back to our text. It says this, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. I love that. I love this sort of uh, um, encouragement by Jesus because he's not saying, he's not against missions. We are for missions. We are for the nations of the world. We want to see the nations of the world discipled, but I love that actually sometimes we as Christians just pay a missionary to go and do the Christian work and then we just carry on with our lives. When that is the antithesis of what Jesus is saying. What I mean by that is that sometimes it's far easier to go far on mission trips and we're sending people on trips and we'll get some feedback of some of the trips that have already happened this year in the next coming weeks. But sometimes it's easier to go far and step over a dying body on your way there. Step over the dying body on your doorstep because I'm going on a mission trip. You see, I love the fact Jesus goes on. He says, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy, which I think a lot of us need to hear. It's easier to tweet criticism at the church and the failures of the West rather than build the church week in and week out by pitching up and serving. It's easier to blog about a public enemy than to be vulnerable and fight a private battle in your own life and community. You see, sometimes we get caught looking for the spectacular and we end up missing the supernatural in the everyday. What, are, what, what, the, what are some of the... the consequential ramifications for this. This is what happens in my life. I'm, simple, I'm a simple man. So I just take this understanding. The kingdom of God is within me and wherever I go, the kingdom of God goes. I need a haircut every now and again. I know. It just doesn't just happen. I know. Thank you for the five chuckles. But I, I made a decision a while ago that I actually I'm going to get my haircut, and it might sound simple, at the local Muslim barbershop in the area we live. 
Now, there are many Christian barbers in our church, many people who might be well to be supported, and that's great. And, and if you need support, hey, I'll send my kids to you. But I, I just decided, I thought, actually, the, the, these guys who moved from Morocco, Muslim men moved here who, who, who spoke only a smattering of English and were learning it on the go, were sent here, and the enemy thought, oh, good, I can isolate them. I can make them feel lonely and depressed. But little did he know that a red-headed Christian was going to walk in every two weeks saying, I need a haircut, and sit down. Boom. Why? Because actually, I know where I go, the kingdom of God goes. And if I'm going to keep pitching up and keep pitching up and keep pitching up with faith, they don't stand a chance. You see, this is an amazing story was that actually I became friend with one of them, and I just can imagine what happened. I'm just a, uh, an imagination guy. I'm going, what's going on in, in, in the recesses of hell when he's going, I've got this guy isolated from family, but he starts to see a Muslim guy from Morocco becoming friends with a Christian guy in Cape Town. No, 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 this isn't how it's supposed to go. And we became friends, and, and with no ulterior motives, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to get into some big discourse of the similarities between Islam and Christianity. That's not my agenda. My agenda is to be his friend and say, the kingdom of God is here by faith. I'm going to keep pitching up. We became friends. He and his two brothers, they had a bit of a squabble. Now he's isolated even further. There's nowhere to go. They've kicked him out the business. And guess who he decides to call? The only other guy he knows in Cape Town. I need help. And he pitches up at the doorstep of a church saying, can you help me? And this guy beginning a journey towards faith because the guy just said, I'm going to have my haircuts at a different place. Amen. This is the reality of what we're doing. And I, and I want to tell you very quickly, we disqualify ourselves from participating in the adventure of the kingdom of God. We, I want to say this. You did not trick Jesus on your entrance exam. He knows you. He knows your failures. He knows your flaws. He knows your, 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 your private wrestles. He knows that, but he knows that his cross has spoken the final word. Here's the great news. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. How freeing is that? And he's invested so heavily, so much so he said, I put my son, my spirit in you. He's invested. The pressure's on the investor, him. And he says, I'm not backing away from my investment. Will you carry my life to people who need? You have more than enough. Secondly, and finally tonight, so get going. This is a really deep sermon, eh? <laughs> Let me tell you, you and I were made for conquest. We were made for advancement. We were made for moving forward. And the most dangerous place for a Christian is comfort, safety, and preservation. Maybe you, you, you heard, you're thinking you're hearing me wrong. A pastor's telling me that the most dangerous place isn't in wild, sinful practices. Now, no, uh, we're saying don't walk into sin, but I tell you, even more dangerous are Christians who are just sitting still. That's why this year has been so dangerous. That's why people are, caught, are falling into different things because actually they've lost not just community, they've lost mission. And we have to remind ourselves we were made for a purpose. There's a story I love to tell. When I was um, 19 in Durban, a friend of mine uh, lent me his Honda Civic. Now, it, this was the car, the car. Why? How do I know? It had blue lights. I was sold. It was just fancy. And he lent it to me for a couple of weeks, and I thought I was the bee's knees. I would play the tunes outside the window and drive slowly by all the pretty girls' homes. I was just like, I am cool. I've made it. And we lived on a, on a road called Larch Road, which is a hill uh, in Durban, lots of hills. And I remember pulling up to my house, and I parked the car, and I, you know, with a bit of swagger, a little bit of swag, turned the car off, walked in, and my cousin met me at my car gate. And he said, Gabe, how did you get home? I said, I'm in the Civic, you know, I'm in the Civic. And he looked over my shoulder and said, where is it? 
And I, at that moment, my heart stopped. So I turned around and I realized I pulled the handbrake up, but I left it in neutral. Now in Durban, neutral gear. Let me tell you, here's a deep, deep truth that anything that's left in neutral goes backwards. And I suddenly ran outside and I saw, and the handbrake was up, so it was not, I would love to be dramatic and tell you it was careening down to the bottom and it was about to explode in a, in a dramatic fashion. No, it was eking its way down the hill. But in my head, Chariots of Fire came on, the James Bond theme song, and I was going, you know, Mission Impossible music, and I was going, sprinting in slow motion. Did a tuck and roll, opened the door, blip, blip, dove in, ah, get in gear, stop the car inches before it exploded at the bottom of the road. It was amazing. But that is my point. And I think too often we forget that actually if your heart is in neutral, you're going to go backwards. We were made for advancement. We were made to take hold of the things of God. And too many of us are going, this is not my season. This is not my moment. This is not my year. One day when, when things get going, you have more than enough, so get going. This is how we live. Joshua chapter one says this, I will give you the land wherever you place your foot. Wherever you place your foot, I'll give you that land. I love that promise. It's on coffee cups. It's on posters at CUM. It's like this really exciting thing. Wherever you place your foot, I'll give you that land. Did you hear the condition? Place your foot somewhere. Too many of us are prophesying and praying, God, give me this, give me this, give me this. And God's going, cool, do something. You see, a lot of us, I think a lot of the church, you wonder why the church look anemic and powerless at times because they're having hours upon hours of prayer meetings Say, God, send your Holy Spirit. And I can imagine God is going, what do you need him for? Truth. The scriptures say we don't have to cry out anymore. He said he has poured out his spirit. He's not taking him back. Walk, do something that requires the power of the spirit and watch him release it. This is really good preaching. I'm convinced already. Uh, uh, I'm like, Gabe, this is good. For the three of you who are still needing to be convinced, when I was at university, uh, again, these are not of a clever guy. This is a guy who's just saying, actually, we've got to believe. We, we, we were at university, and two friends of ours, we were passionately following God, and we were saying, we start to pray for sick people. We said, let's put this to practice, that actually we have more than enough, so let's get going. And we're praying for sick people, and sick people were getting better. We were more surprised than them. We were like, ah, I've got the power. Ooh, 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 ooh. No, it was just so exciting. But all of a sudden, it wasn't now about Sundays. This was like, release me, release me for the week. I'm ready to go. And actually, word filtered around UKZN University in Durban that actually there was two guys praying for people, and they were getting better. So a girl once came and approached us and said, hey, are you the guys praying for people? We're like, yeah, are we in trouble? She goes, no, 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 I've got a sick friend who's got anemia. I'm like, I don't even know what anemia is. She's anemic. I'm like, cool, we'll pray. She said, come with us. So we're following there, down a classroom, down into a lecture there, venue, down, down. We're like, this is getting weirder and weirder. Then we get to a locked door and the, the girl said to us, can you guys just take your shoes off and, and just go to be quiet going in this room? I'm like, What? Okay, take my shoes off. And as I opened the door, I realized we walked into something called the Bhakti Yoga Society. It was the, the Hindu headquarters of the university. There were, there were statues of Ganesha. There were posters of all the different gods. There were people muttering prayer beads in the corner. And I'm like, we have hit the mother load. I must be honest. I'm like, I'm a good Christian boy. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. No, I'm like, what is going on? 
But we walk in and we say, actually, the kingdom of God's in us. And as we walked in, they said, this is my friend who's got anemia. Would you guys pray for her? So I would love to do it. And we started to pray and declare God's victory, declare his, his, the blood of Jesus over her life. And as we were praying, as, and I was getting into it, all of a sudden I opened my eyes and I realized that I was leaning on one of the statues <laughs> just to give me a bit of more leverage in the prayer. And not trying to be disrespectful here, but I realized that actually there is something, the living God lives in me and he wants out. And he is, our, this is the amazing thing, he is not afraid of our sin, he is not afraid of the darkness, he's not nervous, he's not holding back, he says, let me at this world that is desperate. And he wants to do it through foolish things like you and me. I tell story after story, a man named Gary Day he was a divorced man who, who hadn't seen his kids for years, lived in Tableview, and his kids lived in Tableview, and he lived as a recluse who went to work and then to a sports bar at night for over a decade. His kids lived in the same suburb, and he had not seen him. Why? Because his confidence was so ripped that he became so, so small and small and small that he would drive past his, his, his ex's home and say, I wish I could see my kids, but wouldn't go in. Gary Day was a man who, in any other shape or form, would have been a write-off to society, a man, shame. One of, that's just the story, a statistic. But there was a lady named Deline who moved down from Joburg to Cape Town, who was a Christian, and by chance, moved in next door to Gary Day. And Deline was a lady who, who believed that she had more than she needed, and that she was going to get going. So she said, hi, Gary, you need a friend. I see you go there every week. Why, would you like to come to church with me? Gary said, no, thanks. So she asked again the next week, and the next week, and the next week, until he said, actually, I think I will come with you. So they became friends. She brought him to church, and we had the privilege of week after week after week seeing Gary sit to the back and hear the good news of Jesus, sit at the back and hear the good news of Jesus, until his life started to transform, and he gave his life to Jesus. And then he got baptized, and the story started to change, and he started to serve and started to participate in the story. And I remember the moment where we started having the conversation saying, Gary, what about your kids? I think it's a time for you to reconcile with your kids. And he was like, I'm so scared of rejection again. I've been rejected once. I don't know if I can do it again. But I said, Gary, we're going to pray. Because actually God is going to do something. And we prayed with him. And I remember being at the V&A waterfront. And I remember going down the escalator and Gary phoning me. Gary Day. I'm like, hi, Gary. He says, Gabe, you will never believe it. I sent him a Facebook message. It's been quiet for three days. But he's just replied. And he says, he says they want to have a bride with me tomorrow. I just start bawling. Ten years. A man who could not even, who would never fathom that this would be a possibility. And he saw his kids, he, there was awkward conversations, but he had three weeks of incredible building relationships, going to the bride with him, the next week doing another thing, and then another thing. And I say three weeks, because three weeks later I received another phone call, this time from Deline, telling me that Gary had passed away from a heart attack. Here's the incredible thing, that Gary was a recluse, a man that at his 50th, four years previously, had hidden his brother and his brother's wife at his 50th. At his funeral, he had over 200 people who had got to know him at the church, including his children that he hadn't seen for 10 years. I, I don't know what you think the kingdom of God looks like, but for me, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. When sons and daughters, when agents of omnipotence realize that actually we have more than we know, we have more than enough, and they start going, they start shifting their hearts and from neutral into, uh, from away from apathy into moving into what God has got for us. This is who God has called us to be. I've told a few stories, and I feel I need to tell one more. One of possibly my favorite story. I've told it before, and I do not apologize about that. Years ago, there was a historical event that launched out from 
Southampton in England called the Titanic. And uh, shock and horror, it's not just a movie. I know some of you are shocked. It was a real live event and the, 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 the unsinkable happened or the unthinkable happened. As a ship, they said that not only God could sink, plunged into the icy depths one night and as it was going down into darkness and seemingly every soul on board were going to perish and, and into icy depths. But what the movie doesn't tell us and that history does is that over the horizon was another ship called the Californian. And the Californian had enough room on board for every single person on the Titanic to be saved. And the t- that what happened that night is the Titanic started to go down to the, to the water, its watery grave. It let out a distress signal. Poof. And the first mate on board the Californian saw that, ran down and woke up the sleeping captain. Said, Captain, 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 there's a distress signal over the horizon. And the captain, who was a bit groggy, said, what color is it? And he said, it's red. And he said, it's not of our company. Let's keep moving. And this is the story that, that has gripped me, that there was a ship that had the potential to rescue the Titanic. But actually, because of a sleepy captain who said that actually, I'll wash my hands of that agreement. I'm going to press on with our agenda, press on with our course. We're not going to be dissuaded from this course, that actually we're going to move on, that a whole ship went down to its icy depths, died a terrifying death, and the only person who was saved was Rose. (laughs) Sorry, facts and fiction, I get confused. (laughs) But I think my point is made is that actually I think the church of Jesus Christ too often are too caught up in their own business, caught up in their own stories. They're not of us. Sorry, not, for, not today. Sorry, I don't have time for that. Sorry, I've got to do this. Sorry, when actually the spirit of the living God is saying, church, would you wake up? So much so that in Ephesians 5, the apostle Paul says this, 5 verse 13, he says this, to the church, not to unbelievers, but to the church. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. Here's an alarm clock, life changes church. It may be uncomfortable. It may make you feel, is this, the, is this the, really the word I wanted to receive? Alarm clocks have that ability to do that. But the great thing is alarm clocks aren't there to lull you to sleep. They're not there to make you feel comfortable. They're there to wake you up and get you going. And let this word be that for us. I believe that we need to buy into us something that Life Changes City is buying into something called dirty theology. And no, it's not new, some new level of heresy. Don't worry. It's theology that is not academic, a theology that has flesh and blood, that has dirt between the fingernails, that actually a, a, a theology that says actually we're going to go lower, we're going to enter into the pain and the mess of this world. Though we have our own agendas, though we have our own things going on, we're going to change our course and say, God, we have more than enough, so we're going to get going.